Hello and welcome to the PTP Podcast. Hey, and welcome back to the Polishing the Pulpit Podcast. I'm your host, Wes Blankenship. Chances are, you've struggled with complaining lately. Maybe you got stuck in traffic, or the grocery store was out of stock of an item you really needed, or the weather just didn't cooperate for some reason. You know, it's almost as if we instinctively complain and look for the things that cause us pain in our lives. However, as we enter into November and the Thanksgiving season, I wanted to share this episode with you. After hearing this lesson taught, I had a friend tell me, you know, that was the best lesson on complaining that I've ever heard. And I have to agree with him. If you enjoy material like this, please consider joining us at the next Polishing the Pulpit, which will be August 12th through the 20th in 2020 in Sevierville, Tennessee. You'll have over 500 lessons to listen to, brought by over 150 different speakers. We hope you and your family can join us. You can learn more at polishingthepulpit.com. Now, let's begin. That had a vow of silence. It wasn't complete silence. You could say two words every 10 years. He enrolls himself into this monastery, and after 10 years, he goes in front of the head monk, and the head monk says, what are your two words? And the guy says, food, bad. 10 years worth, he's been building that up, so goes back to the monastery for another 10 years, comes back 20 years later now. He says, what two words would you like to say? He said, bed, hard. Okay, that's just two words for the next decade. So another 10 years goes by, he's been there for 30 years, comes back in front of the head monk, says, I quit. (laughs) Head monk says, I'm not surprised. You ain't done nothing but complain since you got here. (laughs) Complaining. You ever talked to somebody who complains? Well, I, I know it's not you who complains, but other people might complain a little bit. Now, I preach on complaining periodically and fairly often. This is one of my favorite sermons. And one of the reasons it's my favorite sermon, because I can go over After I get done, you can't complain about me going over. You can't complain about anything really having to do with the lesson or you violated the... Now, I think that complaining is something that is very needed in the United States of America, especially and even in the Lord's church. About every place I've preached on complaining, I've had somebody come up. Last time I preached on it, a guy said, did my wife ask you to preach on complaining? Had one lady come up and she said, did the elders call you and tell you to preach on complaining? And I said, no, no, just thought it was appropriate. Do you know here in the United States of America, we are one of the most wealthy countries that has ever been in the history of any human civilization. And we'll still complain. You ever met anybody that would complain about the temperature of the auditorium on a Sunday morning? You ever met anybody that would do that? Can you believe that? That there'd be a person who would be a a Christian and they would have a car that is paid for, that is fancier than 99% of the people's car in the world. They'd have a refrigerator that would make ice and they would have a closet full of clothes that they could pick out and they would go in on a Sunday morning 
and sit down in an auditorium and think, it's, I'm, I can't believe it's the middle of the summer. It's July and it's 100 degrees outside, but in this auditorium, it's 42 degrees. You would think that the elders could do something about not making it a meat locker in here. I'm going to talk to somebody. And two rows back where the vent's not blowing, guy's pulling his sweater off. He's pulling, what's burning up in here? I talked to somebody who was in charge of the thermostat. If you want to remain a deacon for years and years and years, do not sign up to be in charge of the thermostat. He said, uh, but one morning he said, lady came through and she was freezing. She said, I can't believe we can't get any warmer in here. The next guy walked right behind her sweating and said, it is burning up in here. Somebody's got to do something. Well, the guy in charge of the thermostat where we were, he said, here's what he would do. He would listen to the people tell him it's too cold or too hot. Then during the announcements, he would almost make a show of getting up and slowly walking to the thermostat. Said he'd open the little, you know, it's locked, you know. And he'd do his little hand like this and go sit back down. He said those people that wanted it cooler came to him and said, ma'am, sure, thank you for that. Appreciate that so much. But those people that wanted it warmer said, appreciate you adjusting that. It was, said he never even touched it. <laughs> Didn't change it at all. Just acted like it. Do you complain? You know, it really is kind of funny when you think about the stuff that we complain about. But you, you hate to break serious on it. But it gets pretty serious when you start looking at what God says about complaining. If you've got your Bibles, I hope that you'll turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. And in the book of 1 Corinthians, you're going to turn to chapter 10, and you're going to read what my New King James 745B with the little heading on top of it, 1987 version says Old Testament examples. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you're going to read about some things that God did very dramatically in the Old Testament so that you would see things not to do in your life. And it says right there, verse 1, moreover, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Now, if you, if you don't realize what's happening there, what Paul is trying to give you is what was the best possible thing that they could have to eat and to drink in a real sense. Okay, they had it as good as you can get it. They all ate the same spiritual food, all drank from the same spiritual rock, which was Jesus. They had it as good as you could have it. But now look at the next verse. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. Of all the entities, of all the beings, of all the people in the world that you don't want to be displeased with you. Who would be at the very top of the list? 
You know, you think about the people you don't want to be displeased with. You don't want your boss to be displeased with you. A lot of times you don't want your spouse to be displeased with you. If you work out of school, you don't want your principal to be displeased with you. And, and then certainly you wouldn't want to go up and have your superintendent to be displeased with you. The people in places of authority or the people that you respect and love, you don't want them to be displeased. But of all the people that you could possibly imagine that you don't want to, to make, not necessarily unhappy, but they, they don't approve of what you're doing, God. But with most of them, God wasn't well pleased. Well, and then the text tells you why God wasn't well pleased with most of them. And you see right there, some of them became idolaters, nor let us commit sexual immorality. You're seeing a list of stuff that you sitting here at PTP on a Friday evening would be like, yeah. I mean, obviously. I mean, they bowed down to little statues and they sacrificed their kids to them, made their children pass through the fire to mullet. I mean, can you believe the people? Look at verse 8. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And that day, 23,000 people died. Yeah, of course. I mean, sexual immorality, it's on a scale of 1 to 10, sin-wise, where's sexual immorality on your list? I mean, it's way up there, isn't it? No, but then you get down to nor let us tempt Christ as some of them tempted Christ. They were destroyed by serpents and verse 10 nor murmur as some of them also murmured and were destroyed by the destroyer now all these things happened to them as examples and they are written for our admonition on whom the ends of the ages have come now, ask yourself the question have you complained before, maybe to the degree that the children of Israel did? Yeah, if you can be honest. Did God strike you dead immediately? No, thankfully, because we still get to be here to listen to the lesson. What if God struck everybody dead that complained in a way that made him unhappy? Well, we have a much smaller human population at the present. So why did he strike these people dead? Now, there's one reason he tells you why he struck this particular group of people. Everybody that complained like they did, they really all deserve to die. But he struck these people dead, even though they deserve to die, and so does everybody else that complains like they did, as an example to show you what? Just how serious God is about complaining. It's not something God takes lightly. It's not something that oh, you know, hey, yeah, she's a perpetual, habitual complainer, but yeah, it's just, that's just how she is. Yeah, he complains all the time, and he's really grumpy and a complaining spouse, but hey, that's who he is. Okay, no. No, this is something that is very serious to God. So I want you to stop right now and think about this question. Are you a complainer? Now, the fact is, if I were to go to any given congregation and say, could you give me a list of your top 10 complainers in this congregation? And just passed out a piece of paper to the whole congregation and said, just write down top 10. Do you know how much we would see the same names come up on everybody's page? 
Because complaining is one of those things that people recognize. You really, deep down, honestly, you know if you're a complainer or not. Now, all of us complain, some periodically. But some of us, but we're just complainers. You wanna know why we're complainers? Complaining is an easier way to communicate. And you get more of a response when you start with a complaint than you do if you start with anything else. It's research proven. Do you know you'll get 40% more of a response in a conversation if you start with some kind of complaint? Boy, it's burning up outside. Can you believe how hot it is? Man, I can't believe our boss kept us over five minutes for that meeting. Can you believe that? Well, that preacher, well, he preached 15 minutes too long. Song leader couldn't get a thing right this morning. It's kind of like that, that boy that went with his parents to the service and they sat through that service and they got out and got in the car and they were driving off and the dad said, you know that preacher, he don't illustrate his lessons worth anything. I know he don't, it's not proper grammar, but work with me, I know how to say it right, I just don't. He doesn't illustrate his lessons at all and he went over 10 minutes today and the mom says, yeah, I know. Said that song leader, he couldn't hold a tune, he couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. He sang the slow songs fast and the fast songs slow. I don't know, they got, they got to do something about these services, it's about ridiculous. Little boy was sitting in the back seat. He said, yeah. But I mean, you got to admit, it wasn't, it was a pretty good show for a dollar. <laughs> you know, I mean, some of us will complain about the song lead. We'll complain about the preaching. We'll you might be thinking, well, I'm not a complainer. I just uh, see things that need changing. Now, there's a difference between complaining and offering constructive good criticism that could change something. That's not a complaint. In fact, there's a guy who started a company with this singular rule. You cannot complain in my company. If you complain, we'll give you one warning. If you complain again, you're fired. Because after several research projects were done, it was shown that there were multiplied billions of dollars being wasted every single day in the marketplace because people were standing around the water fountains complaining. He said, now, don't misunderstand me. I don't mind if you don't like the way something's going. If you don't like the way something's going, go to a person that can actually make a difference and say to them, here's what I think is wrong and here's what I think will solve the problem. Don't go to your coworker at the water fountain and say, can you believe we got to do this? Without offering anything constructive, without going to somebody that can actually do something or has anything to do with what's going on. Do you think that, you think that company did well? It did phenomenally well because in a workplace where there's no complaining, things go much, much better. Now, as you're looking at this, the example of the Old Testament is some of them complained, some of them complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, we don't know exactly what Old Testament incident this is discussing. And that's because the children of Israel complained on a fairly regular basis coming out of Egypt and going on through the wilderness. They were complainers, habitual complainers. However, we've got a location in the Old Testament that we feel pretty sure could probably be what's being discussed. And so I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Numbers chapter 11. And in Numbers chapter 11, my heading for this particular 
passage is the people complain. All right, so you've got these children of Israel. Maybe you'll recall that they were suffering terribly in Egypt. In fact, so badly that they had cried out to the Lord, please come and save us. And God had sent a deliverer, Moses, with amazing miracles and then the 10 plagues and they are now out of, they're out of Egypt. But then you start right there in verse one. Now, when the people complained, notice what the text says, it displeased the Lord. Now, can you see why we would connect this passage with the one in 1 Corinthians chapter 10? With many of them, God was not well pleased. Here you got some people complaining and God's displeased with them. And so it says, for the Lord heard it and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. What if on a given Sunday morning, God heard some complaining in your congregation and he sends fire to, to burn up the people on the outside. Uh, you know, the, the ones that they get there first and they clog the pew and they won't let the other people go by and then they have to get, you know what I'm talking about right there, the outside. I mean, some of these people they are complaining and, and literally God sends fire and burns them up to death. Is God serious about complaining? Well, yeah, and as you continue. So they called the name of that place Taborah because of the Lord and the fire had burned among them. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So Israel wept again and said, who will give us meat to eat? Now I want you to listen to this. I don't know if you've ever read this and thought through what's being said. Now notice this. Ah, we remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up and there is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Now, it gives you a parenthetical. Now in the Old Testament Hebrew, you don't have actually parentheses. But if in English this were being written, there would be a parenthetical. The children of Israel just got through saying, all we got is this manna. And so the author is going to explain to you what manna is. He says, now the manna was like coriander seed and its color was like the color of bdellium. The people went about and gathered it, ground it on millstones, beat it in a mortar, cooked it in pans, made cakes out of it. And its taste was like the taste of pastry prepared with oil, and when the dew fell on the camp at night, the manna fell on it. All right, now let's think about this. Now, sometimes, I, I don't know where and how you picture some of these Old Testament stories taking place. And I don't know exactly what you picture manna looking like in your mind. Here's what apparently it was. It was a really fine little grain that you could get and you could pound it into something like a flour, like bread flour. And then you could bake it into all kinds of stuff. Now there's a good, uh, basically it's a, a barbecue joint about 20 miles down from my house. It's called Schaefer's. And they make what look just like pancakes, but they're cornbread. And they got that kind of 
Oh, it's little chunks of pig fat, really, is what it is. I'm sure there's a better technical word for it, but I, and you put real butter on the top of a hot one of those, and you eat that, and it is remarkably delicious. Now, it's floppy. Like, if you were to hold it, it's like a pancake almost, but it's a little sturdier than a pancake, and it flops. Now, here's how I picture the Israelites making this statement. I see them sitting around a fire and they're reminiscing and and what are they reminiscing about here? What are they projecting in their minds Egypt was? Ah, the, the good old days. That's what they're really saying. You remember those days? We sat around those pots in Egypt. And let's do the list of stuff. We ate onions and garlic. And now, and I picture him having a little floppy piece of that manna. And I picture him looking at it and saying, and now all we got is this manna. Now the writer explains to you, manna, incidentally, tastes like pastry And in Exodus chapter, I think it is 13, it tells you pastry made with honey. Now, if you're in the Old Testament and you make flour, you don't have granulated sugar. Your bread doesn't have any type of sweet taste to it. The only time basically you get any type of sweetener in anything you ever eat is if you have honey. Honey is something that is, okay, you've got uh, uh, approximately 2 million people coming out of the land of Egypt. You had 684 or approximately 1,000 fighting men aged 20 to 55. So you had another 680,000 women aged 20 to 55 coming out of Egypt. So you got 2 million people every, do you think they find enough honey on any kind of regular basis to sweeten any kind of bread at all? No, you don't get honey much, oh, except When God decides to feed you, you get bread that, and I'm not, this is not a joke, that tastes like a heavenly donut. And it's good for you. Oh, and by the way, how do you get it? You know, if you've ever done any gardening, I've done a garden. Years past, I, you know, I till it. And the time that my garden looks the very best, I'll tell you what, a week after I have tilled and planted my garden, it looks amazing. I mean, it looks like carpet. The brown dirt is, there are no weeds in it. I've got those little tomato plants out. Now about a month and a half into it, it's right, my garden was right where we would pull into the driveway and my wife would have to see it every time we pulled in. And she said, Kyle, this is the last year we're doing a garden. Any of you know why that would be the last year we're doing the garden? Because I got professional at growing, well, uh, you know, those, uh, basically any type of weed that doesn't produce anything worth eating, I'm great at. That stuff that takes over your tomatoes, morning glories, I can grow a morning glory six feet tall. I'm great at a morning glory. You know what you got to do to keep a garden going? Number one, if it gets dry, you got to water it. Number two, you got to weed it. A lot of times you have to hoe it. And that's just to get some tomatoes out of a, out of a garden. 
Do you know what the children of Israel had to do to get manna? Did they have to till anything? Plant anything? Weed anything? Oh yeah, you know, it was remarkably difficult to get manna. You walk out of your tent, you bend down, pick it up, and it tastes like a donut. It's a pretty good deal, isn't it? Flapping it around, this manna. You ever had somebody that would think, well, I wish I had an onion instead of a donut? You know, I used to preach at a little place in Flatwoods, Tennessee, right outside of Linden. And the older gentleman that was basically one of the leaders of the congregation, he had been farming all his life and would invite me over and I'd eat at his, eat with his family about every Sunday night. And he would have raw onions. Now, the, I was preaching the, this material, and I didn't know what to call a raw onion thing that came off the top. It's not really a leaf. It's green. And, it's, and somebody said, and some of you might know the technical term for the stuff that comes off the top of an onion. It's a blade, an onion blade. And he would sit over there, and he'd take his raw onion blade, the little green stuff, and he'd bite off, and he'd say, oh, this is awesome. You really got to try this. Now, I'll try anything once. And so I said, sure, absolutely. So I, I bit off a, raw, a piece of raw onion blade and thought, how can anybody like? Uh, and he'd just sit over and bite them all the way down to the onion and then eat the onion. I ate a raw onion blade one time and politely said no thank you from then on. You ever been chomping down on a cream peel, Krispy Kreme, chocolate covered donut and thought, oh, wish I had an onion blade right now. <laughs> uh, not me. It's never, never happened in my life. And you're looking at the children of Israel and they honestly are thinking about the good old days in Egypt when they ate onions and all they had now was this manna. And you start looking at them and you, you, if you're not careful, you start thinking, a whole bunch of ingrates. I mean, can you believe what God had done for them and they would... Now, now I could see that after, after a week of manna or two or three or a month of it. I mean, you start looking at the Israelites and you start thinking, I can't believe y'all a bunch of ungrateful, complaining people. You ever eaten anything for a week straight? Years ago, I decided I was going to make myself like mayonnaise. Ever tried anything? I don't know if you've ever tried anything. I decided I was going to eat it for a month on everything. So I did. Made myself eat mayonnaise for a month on everything because I had heard that if you'll make yourself eat something, you'll like it. That's a lie. Still hate my, but I thought I'd be a more versatile leader. You know, I do a lot of potluck eating, and I thought, you know what? Lots of times people put out sandwiches with mayonnaise, and I'd like to be able to like a mayonnaise sandwich. I grew up eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich every day of my life from about the third grade to about the middle of my eighth grade year. Loved them. Just thought they were, I mean, I, I could eat a peanut, I, could, I ate two peanut butter and jelly sandwiches every day. 
And I mean, I'd take them in those little brown bags and they'd be all smushed up and the jelly would be all seeping out the side and sticking the bag to it. And I, it didn't faze me, but I loved them. But I guess it was, I don't, don't get me on the dates, but middle way through my eighth grade year, I opened that bag and I looked at it. And I thought, I can't eat another peanut butter and jelly sandwich ever. And I, ne- I didn't. I didn't touch a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for probably 20 years. You know, look at the children visit and you think, oh, what a bunch of complainers. Until you start thinking they were eating manna every day. You think they had tried to think of different ways to cook it? They fried it, boiled it, roasted it. You think after about two months or three months or six months or eight months that ladies were going over to the other tent and say, hey, y'all find it. What, what are y'all recipe? What do you do with this? Well we, well, we tried that. What else you got? Well, have you fricasseed it yet? It's really good fricass. After a year, two, I, I don't know exactly what time this was that they were griping about manna, but they've been eating manna every day. You start looking at that and you start, you start empathizing a little more with them, don't you? And you start thinking about all the things that we have and how we still complain. How we have houses that, and I was in my professor, my Fried Hardman professor, his class, he said, uh, we were talking about this concept. He said, you know, when I was growing up in the 50s, He said, what we thought was the American dream was if we could move into a two bedroom, one bathroom house that he said, I remember vividly. He said, if it just had 900 square feet, I just thought that that would be the greatest house you could possibly move into. Is your house more than 900 square feet? Your master bedroom's 900 square feet. Oh, and you might even have that big shower with the tub that has the little jets, or that's probably mid-90s. You might have upgraded since then. And you've got a refrigerator that will give you ice and water that comes out. You're in a car, but you know, you're about tired of this car. Nothing really wrong with it. It's just, it's got 122,000 miles and you look around at the nicer cars and you think, well, I probably need a nicer. I don't know why I got to drive. This one's got that dent in it from where the kid ran into the back of it. And I, I should get me a new one. Oh, so-and-so, she's got a new one. I don't know why I got to drive this one. Let me ask you this. If everything you complained about right now was made the way you wanted it, would that mean that tomorrow you would be done complaining? Oh, you see, complaining is not based on what you got. It's not based on if everything goes right for you because everything you've got, if you are complaining about it right now today and God said, okay, great, I'm going to change it for you. I'm going to give you manna. Oh, well, this manna's not good enough. Okay, I'm going to give you quail. Well, this quail's not good enough. Oh, well, I'm going to give you, it's not good enough. What have you done for me today, God? And the reason why this why complaining displeases God is because basically what you're saying to God is, God, you're not doing it right. Thought we had a deal here. You're not holding up your end of the bargain. Uh, when I said I wanted food, I didn't just mean heavenly donuts every day. I want some meat to go with it too. 
Oh, you do? Okay. Well, I don't just want some meat to go with it. I also want it. You just add to your list. Complaining has nothing, listen to me, nothing to do with your outside circumstances. It's all a heart issue. Now, you go to the golden text, what I call the golden text of complaining. Number one, it displeases God because you're telling God he's not doing things right. Number two, it displeases God. And, and here's, because it's unchristian. And let me explain to you what I mean by unchristian. You go to Philippians chapter two, you look at verse 14 and it's the, it's the classic verse on complaining. I mean, you can't get any more clear then Philippians chapter two, verse 14, do all things without grumbling and complaining, uh, depending on what translation you use, without murmuring and disputing, without griping. And when I say it's unchristian, what I mean by that is, can you ever imagine in your mind's eye a time when Jesus would complain about something? Is this all we got to eat? I'm burning up in this. I can't believe these chariots don't go any faster. It's the slowest donkey I've ever been on. Oh, this Passover traffic's ridiculous. 250,000 people in this. Can you imagine that? You cannot picture Jesus complaining because he never would. When I say it's unchristian, a Christian is a Christian, a Jesus Christ follower. Complaining just has nothing whatsoever to do with Jesus. He'd never do. Now let me show you why Christians complaining make such a mark on Christianity. Do all things without grumbling and complaining most of the time we don't go to that next verse. That you may be blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the middle of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Any fool can complain and most fools do. And most people do. And when you live a life that is a joyful, happy, accepting, spirit-filled life, you don't tell God he's not doing a good enough job. You look at what God gives you and you know what you say? Thank you. What do you mean, Kyle? Thank you. I'm not in a position to say thank you to God right now. You don't understand what's going on in my life. No, I don't. I don't. I've got, I've got a, an amazingly good life, so much better than I deserve, I couldn't even explain it to you. I know I deserve to go to hell. I know Jesus Christ died to save me from my sins. And not only do I know that I'm going to heaven based not on any kind of meritorious works that I've done, but just because Jesus said, I will save you. I know I'm gone. And add to that, I got a car that every time I get in, it starts right now. I got a house that's got air conditioning. I ate at the Applewood 
whatever. I always called it Apple Barn, but it's right there on Apple Valley. And I had those little apple fritters with the homemade apple jelly and the apple julep. I didn't deserve any of that. You know who's writing Philippians 2, don't you? Yeah, I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't. I know what was going on in Paul's life. See, Paul wrote to the Philippians, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Now, he wrote that to a group of people that if you were to go back just, just a few verses, back to chapter one, and oh, I think right there in Philippians, I don't know exactly what verse it is. You'll have to go back to chapter one. It's near the end. He says, for it has been granted to you, Philippians, not only to believe in the name of Jesus, but, but what? But also to suffer for his sake. Guess what you get? You get to suffer. Now, I believe there's a good reason why God used Paul to write Philippians chapter two, do all things without murmuring and complaining, grumbling and complaining, murmuring and disputing. Because the Philippians, you remember in Acts chapter 16, the Macedonian call, we sing the song, we have heard the Macedonian call today, send the light, send the light. That Macedonian call is where Paul's trying to decide where he's going to do mission work and God says, not here right now, not here right now. And then he has a vision one night and there's a man from Macedonia saying, come over and preach to us. And Paul wakes up the next day and says, hey, I found out where we need to go. We need to go to Macedonia. And so they go into Macedonia and you remember what the chief city of Macedonia is, Philippi. And they go in and start preaching the gospel there in Philippi. And there's this servant girl who follows Paul and his companions around and she screams, these people are preaching for, from the Most High God. They're teaching for the Most High God. And she just says it over and over and over. These people are preaching for the Most High God. Imagine me trying to speak to you and there's somebody in the audience that pops up every 20 seconds and yells, he's preaching for the Most High God. And you look at her and you say, okay, appreciate it. And she sits back down and I get back in the middle of the point, preaching for the Most High God. And I say, thank you. And, I, and she screams it loud everywhere that Paul goes. Pretty distracting. And so Paul, through the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit, cast the demon out of this servant girl. And the Bible says that her masters, when they saw that their prophet was no longer going to be available from what she did, whatever it was, they took Paul and Silas to the magistrates. And because this was a Roman colony and was not legally bound to anything Jewish. The Bible says that they beat them with many stripes with rods. You ever been hit by a hard stick? This isn't a, this isn't a switch. It's not like one of those little pliable little switch. This is a rod. You're talking about like a broomstick. Now imagine you getting tied to something and a person with a, something akin to a broomstick is behind you and just commences to beat you with a broomstick as hard as he can. That would hurt one. I mean, I've been hit by a broomstick a time or two. I never said that to her again. But no, no, I'm two times, three times, 10 times, 20 times. So many times that it went from bruises to whelps, from whelps to bloody openings. And then they take Paul and Silas and they drag them to the 
innermost part of the prison where the worst criminals are held. And they put them in the stocks. You know what a stock is designed to do. Uh, the best example of a stock that I know of is, is in the old Robin Hood movie where Friar Tuck is stuck there in the stocks and they're throwing tomatoes at him and stuff. Except these stocks probably were not only arm and head stocks but also feet stocks. So that they would pull your legs and your feet and your hands as far forward as possible so that there's no way you can move to get comfortable. I mean, some, we'll take a six-hour trip and get out of our lumbar support suburban XL that's got vibration and heat and say, well, oh, I can't believe we're going to drive six hours. I need to move this thing closer. We had every possible comfort. Paul and Silas are in the stocks after their backs are beaten and bloodied and they're in the innermost part of the prison. Do, do how many things without grumbling and complaining? Well, the, you know, the ordinary stuff a lot, but every now and then you get a license to complain. If you ever got a license to complain, do you think Paul and Silas would have one? If you got a complaining card that you could use, hey, well, I'm going to use my complaining card here. Do you think they were in a situation where they deserved one? Why were they there? Because they preached the gospel. Well, who told them to? God. He didn't let them go into Bithynia. That would happen later as we read 1 Peter. He didn't let them go into various different places, but he sent them here and he knew they were going to get beaten. And he sent them anyway. And they're in the middle of the worst prison with their backs bloodied and beaten and it's midnight. You think they were having trouble finding a comfortable place to go to sleep? In those stocks, uh, there's probably a good reason they were up. They weren't getting any sleep that night, most likely, because their backs were hurting so bad and they were in those stocks. You remember what they were doing? Remember what they weren't doing? They weren't complaining, they weren't griping. How many people had the Philippian jailer probably seen go through his jail, complain about them being there? We don't deserve to be here. When I get out of here, well, you didn't even know I was a Roman citizen. I'm going to make sure that your life is miserable. I'm going to get you fine. What were Paul and Silas doing? Praying and singing hymns to God. If they were praying and singing hymns to God with their bloodied backs in the stocks that they received from preaching the gospel... Could you wait in a bank line with patience and look around and think, how could I make this place a nicer place to be for the next 20 minutes? Could you sit in a back seat of a car with your sibling and think, I'm not going to fight over the fact that there's only a cookie and a half left, even though I did already eat three. I'm going, is there any situation that you can think of that would give you a right to complain? Not that I can. I've never had a right to complain my whole life. Now, that doesn't mean I haven't complained. But I've never had a right to. 
And if Paul and Silas can be on the floor of the innermost prison and sing praises and hymns to God and pray, well, when that Philippian jailer came in, do you think he'd ever seen anybody that had done anything like that? Do you think that Paul and Silas were a little different than his average prisoner? Do all things without grumbling and complaining that you may be blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the middle of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Listen, brothers, sisters, if you don't complain, you can look different. Jesus Christ never complained a single second. He left heaven, came to earth, went through the most painful situations that could be imagined for my sin, nothing he did, and never once complained. In every situation, I'll end it with this. Maybe you have read, I don't know, the story of Corey Ten Boom. Corey Ten Boom had a sister named Betsy. She and Betsy were thrown into Ravensbrook, one of the worst concentration camps there in World War II. It was a women's facility at the time. Betsy was one of those cheerful people that didn't matter what happened to you, you never could get her down. Corey Ten Boom said, I didn't understand how it was the case. It didn't matter what was going on. Betsy was always excited and happy. And we were in the middle of the concentration camp. She said, we finally got put in this one dormitory and it was filled with fleas. And Betsy said, we should stop and say a prayer of thanksgiving. Corey looked at her and said, no. He said, you know, I've, I've tried to be thankful for all this stuff, but I will never and never thank God for fleas. I, I, I can't believe you're even doing that. She said, well, the text says in everything give thanks. You ever thank God for the fleas in your life? Come to find out the soldiers wouldn't come into that dorm because of those fleas. They didn't molest the ladies in that dorm because of those fleas. Betsy was able to sneak or smuggle a Bible in by strapping it right to the small of her back. And every single night, they got to read that Bible and pray with the ladies in that dormitory because that dormitory was filled with fleas. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. That you may be blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the middle of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Let's show people a life of Christ that goes into whatever circumstance it is without complaint. Thank you for listening. We would appreciate it if you would share this podcast with your friends and leave us a review on Apple iTunes or Google Play. For more PTP information, visit polishingthepulpit.com or search for Polishing the Pulpit on Facebook.